G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Recently, you might recall we had a conversation uh, whether or not uh, Christian faith produces what we'd call a natural high. And that's not the same as the effect of illicit psychotropic toxins in recreational drugs that appear to be an epidemic supply today, but the high that comes from relationship, obedience and faith in Christ. Well, it's a nice thought that we might find ourselves feeling good about our faith, and it may be that we should cherish those times that we do. However, the flip side is that in the course of our lives, we are likely to also experience the opposite to those mountaintop experiences and spend lots of time in the valleys. We're talking good and bad feelings today. It may even be possible that the same awesome presence of God affects us in completely different ways at different times in our lives. To be enraptured in the awesome presence of God with a heart abandoned in worship may be a wonderful thing. Another person under the powerful conviction of sin in the presence of that same awesome God may in fact experience a terrifying moment. Then there's the other person facing tragedy and grief and loss who in the presence of the same awesome God could experience that peace that passes all understanding. Well, today, taking that idea of experiencing the presence of God more deeply with a special guest who is an expert on issues of the mind and our emotions, Dr. John Warlow back with us. He's an adult, child and family psychiatrist and is the developer of what's known as the Christian Wholeness Framework. His passion is Christian wholeness, taking the whole gospel to the whole person. John Warlow, a special welcome back to 2020. Neil, lovely to be back again with you talking about feelings. And feelings is something that uh, you love to talk about, and this is your profession. I mean, you're a professional feelings person, aren't you? Because, you know, the images that we have, John, of the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist couch, and now I don't know whether you have one of those couches in your office, but this idea of, you know, tell me how you felt at this particular time. And uh, people are obviously coming to see a psychiatrist because they're uncomfortable with the feelings they've been experiencing. So uh, so when we talk about good feelings, as I mentioned in the introduction, you've always got to have this balance of what do we do with the bad feelings. And I think that's such a really important issue for Christians particularly uh, in terms of what do I do with those feelings I struggle with? I have the Holy Spirit in me, but hey, it's not love, joy, peace. But maybe there's anger, sadness and stress inside me how does that work? Uh, and as a psychiatrist, seeing people with things every day. And depending on the way I imagine here, even as we were raised by our own parents, uh, some of our parents 
had things together, helped us process those feelings in a mature way and even in light of God. Others of us were raised in families which were very dysfunctional. Our parents had perhaps no idea about how to process those feelings. They were going through all of the same things themselves. The way we were raised, does this have an effect on how we think about feelings? It has a huge influence. So there's families who basically express feelings in a fighting way. Imagine being brought up in that sort of family. Then there's the other extreme where families are brought up where we don't talk about feelings. Imagine the consequences of that. I'm thinking of the royal family right now, and, uh, (laughs) you know, this might be controversial, but uh, this is the image, isn't it, of the royal family, the idea of a stiff upper lip, of don't complain, uh, just carry on, and in some sense, that's a leadership to a nation, and perhaps that's what's given the British people a certain sense of, uh, of that type of, you know, we don't talk about our feelings. Just been watching The Crown last night with Jill, my wife, and uh, there was Prince Charles yelling and in contempt at, at Diane. However true that is, I'm not sure. But yes, uh, different countries and different cultures cope in feelings in with feelings in different ways. England is very different from the Mediterranean, for example. Not sure about the Kiwis and the Aussies, uh, but also what's interesting, not just different cultures, but different denominations in the church as well, I think, cope with feelings in different ways and express them in different ways. Who knew our conversation would start to go down this road? Uh, But when you say, who knows about the Aussies and the Kiwis, uh, we have so many people who have been wonderful uh, migrants to Australia. There's lots of cultures that interact in our Australian melting pot. Uh, And there is a sense, I imagine, here that it is actually hard to say this is a characteristic of Australia, how we deal with emotions, or is there something that comes to mind that might characterize our national emotional strengths? For me, what comes to mind, I think it's very contextualized with all of this um, immunization with COVID, is that uh, in Australia, it's it's basically do your own thing um, and uh, be your own island, go and have your own quarter block somewhere. And if it doesn't affect me, it's not relevant. And I, I think we, I think that has a huge impact on the way we in Australia deal with emotions. In some ways, at the moment, we're burying our heads. And the news on today, ABC, was, hey, this is serious. We need to actually get this uh, immunization stuff right. Um, but I think the way we cope with feelings is, well, actually, it might not suit me. We're a pretty self-centered nation, I think. But we won't go down there. We're not going down the COVID route today. <laughs> okay, well, now, this is important because <laughs> is there something in our Aussie uh, make up that says because we are so egalitarian uh, you're no better than I am and my opinion counts as much as anybody's and uh, if I don't want to toe the line when someone's encouraging me to do something uh, I may well rebel or I may well go and hide Uh, there's all sorts of ways I imagine our feelings can affect the sorts of actions that we'll have I think so and I think uh, we are in an egocentric egalitarian pluralistic uh, society and with this cancel culture as well where if you don't um if you don't agree with me and nearly my views and my feelings i'm gonna 
push delete button on you and and cancel that and that that's going to actually cause a real build up of feelings uh within uh, our society over time <laughs> well <laughs> Now, this is an interesting foundation we're laying here that listeners might like to contribute into because uh, the cancel culture idea, uh, people who are reactionary with their own feelings, I'm hurt by the things that you say are offending me, therefore, I will shut you down, I will cancel you. Uh, This is not a Christian way to respond, but this is a way that we're seeing emerging in a dreadful way. Then there's those who are on the receiving end who are feeling hurt by the fact that they've been cancelled, that they've been uh, in some ways cut off or rejected. Sometimes the worst feeling ever is that, you know, you you could argue with me, but just don't cut me off, don't reject me, don't shut me down. All sorts of things come to the fore with those sorts of feelings. And underneath this, I think, Neil, is the church has a tremendous opportunity now as we look at how can we simply deal with feelings, particularly feelings of where we might feel hurt or where where we might even be struggling or in grief, as you are saying, or being convicted by the Holy Spirit, or if uh, we have feelings which are, frankly, I don't like you feelings uh, with with someone else. Uh, My prayer is that the church becomes a culture which knows how to deal with feelings, and it's not that hard. You know, I'm going to lead you into here uh, what we might move into a real spiritual conversation because I suspect that when you arrive at church on Sunday and you're wandering through the door, uh, there's no one on duty. The person on duty is uh, putting out their hand or they're, uh, oh, maybe they're doing an elbow tap uh, to welcome you along to church. They're not really asking you at the front door about your feelings in that moment. And for the pastor or the priest who's up in the pulpit, you know what? They're not dealing with everybody's individual presence of feelings. So we have to here, as we come together as a congregation, be reliant on the eternal God, the transcendent God, to be able to minister into our own individual sense of feelings where we're at. What are your thoughts for this spirituality that really happens in church but doesn't happen necessarily in the wider community. This is so relevant and I think even in the church we can be a very superficial uh, society even if we do have a welcoming um, uh, group at the at the door at church it's it's how are you and we might have been having a terrible argument in the car just before but we've got a happy smiley face on how are you and well we're fine and we don't talk about actually I've had a hard day and stuff like that we might not do why because it may not be safe enough it may not actually be deep enough and sermons need to talk about this uh, where people can feel safe enough and comfortable enough to talk uh, about hey I'm struggling with my feelings is there a sense when you come together in the gathering of church that that corporate gathering and sometimes and uh, and you'll know this feeling because you can leave all all the bad stuff outside the door and for that hour hour and a half however long you're in church it's almost as though you've put your life on hold and here you are in the presence of God is there a corporate regulation that happens automatically when you're gathering with the brothers and sisters in Christ that actually has an, a, a positive effect on how we feel Absolutely. When we come together, if there is that basis of connection and safety, there can be massive 
positive feelings, which does allow us, and rightly so, to come more into the presence of God and leave some things behind. However, that is not how healing happens. Okay, we could isolate ourselves and not be a part of church. Something's happened in this past 12 months, and particularly in some different places around Australia, people have been isolated, they've been locked down, they've separated from their local church. Some who've had the opportunity to go back have resisted that, thinking, I can do this from my living room, I don't need those people. Do we need those people? In that local church. We desperately need those people. We are built for real connection. And when we have that, then we can start to become safe enough to actually really uh, understand our feelings and those of others. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have in the studio with us today, Dr. John Warlow, a psychiatrist, and uh, what a wonderful approach he has to feelings and our mind and faith. He has a passion for Christian wholeness, taking the gospel to the whole person. Our talkback line is open right now on 1-800-316-316. You might like to hear Dr. John's thoughts on the circumstances that you're going through right now. John, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, I know you know off by heart all the rest of those. I wonder whether you can uh, hit us with, uh, with that scripture. Well, it, yeah, it's Galatians 5, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it's 5. Uh, the, with the, uh, the fruit, the, the fruit, there's a single, there's the word, it's not fruits. The fruit of the That's Spirit true. is yep. love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's at a guess. Am I nearer to the mark? I think you've got it right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, love, joy, and peace, those are the ones everybody remembers. Uh, The rest of the list, sometimes we get stuck and uh, we think, oh, what were those again? And have to go to Galatians chapter 5 to be able to see what those are. But I note when we talk about those fruit of the Spirit that if we get to ones like patience... That means there's stuff happening that we need that fruit to happen in our lives. Feelings and things are being upset. Uh, Any thoughts here about the strength of the the different characteristics of those things that are in that that scripture? Yeah, I mean, I'm meant to be a Christian and I get irritable uh, rather than patient. I want it now. Kindness, um, yeah, sometimes I'm kind, but sometimes I'm not kind, particularly in my family with my spouse, my parents, my kids, um, uh, gentleness, mm, I can be pretty harsh at times. How does that work when I have the Holy Spirit within me, but I'm actually got these things? And if we can actually look at what's going in our feelings, that's certainly a step towards actually being able to allow the fruit of the Spirit to fill every part of us. Self-control is a big one in there too, because uh, if we are ruled by our feelings, uh, then we may not actually be able to bring in this fruit of self-control and the self-control might be something that uh, you know that we miss what are your thoughts around the powerful effect of actually having some level of control over the feelings let me tell you uh, how i actually deal with this 
um, there are three more negative feelings, sadness instead of joy, um, and anger instead of love, and then anxiety instead of peace. And anxiety is the one which I would feel the most. I'm the most vulnerable uh, one to that. What I do is this, and this is just a such a helpful take-home message. I am real about my anxiety, but I don't let it rule. I'm real about my anxiety. I don't let it rule. What I do is I use it as a window into my heart where the whole place of control is. And I know that when I'm anxious, my levels of control are going down. And so I actually then focus more on my low levels of control, more than my high levels of anxiety. And I then take that and then bring that to God. I use my emotions to help me to actually take my heart to God. Sometimes, I know professionally speaking, people talk about the self and understanding who we are. And we might do that in an academic level and understand those sorts of things. But is there any real benefit in going through a personal exercise where you get to know who you are in light of God? Because if you don't, uh, you're really just uh, floundering around, aren't you? I think you've said it exactly right. And we just have to uh, connect with and understand ourselves if we want to live a godly life. We actually have to be real about ourselves and face ourselves uh, and to see what's going on. So it's the whole thing of this prayer, which is transformative to life. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Control lives in the air of heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And I would add feelings to that and see if there's any wicked way in me. Because in Hebrew, um, mind is much more a holistic word. It's not just thoughts. It, the, the feelings are associated with that. And that's in, in Christian Holmes' framework, that's how we see it. Now, we, God knows us. Why, why do we even need to pray, search me, O oh God? Partly, I think, one of, for me, one of my exegetical views on this <laughs> uh, as a psychiatrist, <laughs> Christian psychiatrist is that, hey, actually, in doing so, maybe I can actually search my heart as well and my thoughts and my feelings and so that I can live in God's ways in a greater way. John, as I look in the mirror and I'm trying to see what I'm like, sometimes I don't see, well, I might see ugliness. I might see all the weaknesses that I'm trying to put a mask on so that others don't see. Uh, I might be trying to be in a position of denial that God would see those weaknesses. And sometimes, uh, you know, just this idea that, you know, as you say, God sees the heart. There's nothing we can hide from him. The benefit to us is actually identifying our weaknesses. Now, there are also no doubt real benefit in recognizing the gifts and strengths that we have too so not to not to just get too uh, you know bogged down in all negativity here but when we talk about this weakness identifying those weaknesses sometimes we don't want to look we don't want the spotlight put on us you said it so well neil and i guess my prayer is for the christian culture and churches we have an atmosphere where we can face rather than 
fake. We don't have to put up a up a an image before others. We don't have to flight or put down the shutters and deny feelings, but we can face them. And that's the first step to managing our feelings. Well, our Facebook question today, you can find it at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. How do you think both good and bad feelings are supposed to affect our Christian faith? A couple of responses. Darren says, we hopefully learn from them and help others from them. Uh, feelings, I imagine that's a question or that's a comment that actually uh, makes a reference to a level of maturity here. Any thoughts for Darren? Darren, good on you. Absolutely learning from them. Connect and understand uh, yourself. Uh, And then by doing that, particularly in the context of safe relationships, we can then help others. Spot on, Darren. Catherine says, feelings should follow your faith and what the word says. They are a part of the unrenewed soul and therefore can lie As you renew your mind to the word of God, our souls begin to line up with what it says. Wisdom in Catherine? Catherine, spot spot on in many ways there. Uh, There used to be this picture of a train of faith, facts, and facts, faith, and feeling. And feelings is the back carriage there. And indeed, faith needs to be central, but we do need to be very real about our feelings. Otherwise, they can take control over us without us knowing. Um, and the wonderful thing is we can actually be centered on God, and but very much be real about our feelings. Is this a way to touch on the reality and get all of the benefit out of the humanity? Because we talk about being made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, If we're not going to conform to that image, surely we're not going to have the fulfilled uh, life that's filled with all of the joy and the capacity that God has built into us. So you've got to be able to have your own life lined up with what uh, what the standard is, haven't you? Yeah, I think absolutely right. And God himself, Jesus, had angry feelings, had sad feelings. Interestingly, God and Jesus didn't have anxious feelings. Now, I can chat about that. Some people say that Jesus in the garden was anxious. No, no, no. If you read it carefully, he had anguish uh, there, which is not anxiety. Uh, But also he had angry feelings. And also God is a God of love, a God of joy, and a God of peace. God made us with feelings. And if God is the God of love, joy, and peace, and let's say Jesus, the embodiment of all of the fruit of the Spirit— And uh, to be like Jesus is to look at those fruit of the Spirit and so you can get your bearings as to how you can adjust to that. Uh, He's the one in which this this is where the simplicity is so profound, isn't it, John? I think so, and having such a uh, uh, person who in their flesh, you know, John said, I touch him, sort of thing, I had fellowship, and it was real. And we've got someone who we can follow in such a uh, helpful way for us to actually become imitators of Christ. John, let's take a call and uh, we'll see where we head uh, with this part of our conversation. Betty has been waiting patiently in Ipswich in Queensland. Hello, Betty. Welcome. Hello, uh, Neil and John. Uh, This may be a little bit off topic, but it's about um, the cancel culture to do with adult children and grandchildren. Um, uh, 
bit like the Prince Harry syndrome at the moment. I have got adult children, um, uh, uh, grandchildren, who have uh, just don't want to communicate. They're blaming their parents and the family. Yes, so it's not good at the moment. Well, Mm. let's get a thought or two, uh, Dr John Warlow. Uh, thanks, Betty. Absolutely not good. And um, blame is uh, such a can be such a toxic uh, word, Where, and but also a way people cope with underlying feelings. And it makes such a difference when people can actually, rather than pointing the finger at another, then look at the three fingers pointing back at themselves. So few people can seem to do that, Betty. And I guess my prayer for your family is that they, the, 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 you know, the kids, or the grandkids, are able to bend those, uh, look at those three bent fingers as they point the finger and blame and actually uh, look at themselves. They'll get an awful lot further in terms of change with that. Mm -hmm. Betty, I imagine here, and uh, I'll get John's thoughts, uh, the idea that you're expressing this, and thank you so much for calling and just letting us in on uh, this circumstance, but the need for humility has to start with someone whenever there's a sort of a divisive conflict going. Uh, John, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, and uh, Betty here is uh, clearly uh, is concerned about this, and no doubt other listeners, a similar sort of situation. How do you deal with issues around uh, humility and the fact that somebody's got to actually take a humble position for any sort of healing to happen? Uh, so right, Neil. And Betty, this is such a hard situation uh, where one person within the family or even a group of them are blaming others. And uh, the certainly providing a, a different approach is uh, to actually to connect and understand them and say, so what I'm hearing you saying is this. Mm -hmm. And then to actually go even deeper. So what is that like for you? Um, And that can be so powerful unless they then attack again and again, in which case it's very hard to stay on that converse, in that conversation with them. But connecting, understanding, giving them the opportunity to talk and actually look at those three fingers, looking at them, if they're prepared to do that, massive change can come in. If not, it's really hard, Betty. Betty, is that helpful? Well, I, I I know uh, I know what yes, what needs to be done. But when these, I mean, as a grandparent, um, I have been cancelled out too, and um, and these not and they these adult grandchildren just don't want to talk. I wonder whether, and I'll get John's thoughts here, the idea of listening is even more important than putting your own uh, views into a situation here. Any thoughts here, John? Yeah, um, it is uh, that absolutely listening, but when the other person, exactly right you're saying, Betty, when the other person cancels you, it's like they've walked off the court. There's no tennis court. There's no game to be played and this is very worrying Uh, and you're talking about in a family this is happening in our society as well on social media Um, and if people then are not prepared to listen we are really going down a bad street and that's very hard Betty. 
John, what about the issue of prayer in all of this? I mean, in Betty's situation, we may uh, take a moment in just uh, in just a second or two, Betty, to pray. But if you pray, what happens, uh, John? If you if you're thinking through this issue, a Christian psychiatrist, uh, the expert on the mind and the emotions, but we've got another dimension in here. Uh, what ought to happen uh, when we actually do pray? Um, yeah, what ought to happen is that God should answer and uh, stop that person cancelling us. Uh, yes. so often doesn't seem yeah, to happen Betty, that way. And so yeah. for me, what I'm left with there, Betty, is indeed taking my broken heart if I'm cancelled yeah. to God, but also sharing it with someone else. It's that triangle, Betty, of God, yeah. myself, and someone else, which can be so helpful because then that yeah. stops me from reacting to the other person. Yeah. I can be yeah. proactive to that other person. God through me, not easy one. Yeah. Betty, do you yeah. mind if we take a moment to pray for you in your circumstance? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. John, would you like to lead us? Uh, Lord, we bring this situation to you, these grandkids, uh, um, and we pray for a bridge. We pray uh, that Betty would be able to be responsive to you and be proactive. And I pray that Betty would be able to have ideas and ways of connecting even when there is cancellation in Jesus' name. Amen. Betty, thank you so much for your call and uh, for your candid openness there and uh, really appreciate you and expect good things from God. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Before we take another call, let me ask you here, John, because when there is family conflict, emotions are running wild. Uh, The good and the bad feelings, mostly bad. Uh, The idea of taking some time to pray, the idea of humbling ourselves, I wonder, is is there a line in the way that feelings emerge here from being angry or rejected because I've been cancelled by the family to being on our knees before God, even with a heart that is anguish-filled, just like Jesus, uh, to the point of tears? What about tears? Is there something special in handling our feelings by the way that our emotions overflow? So what I do uh, here, uh, Neil, is I seek to be real about my feelings on my knees, uh, bringing them to God, sharing them with another uh, of my wife, and then seeking to uh, take the lead, the servant leadership there in the family, if there is sadness, if there's anger, uh, to be able then to invite the other one to say what, what's going on from their point of view about them. And uh, that, for me, is, is the pathway I take proactively in the context of family stress. We are taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from David in Murray Bridge in South Australia. Hello, David. Welcome. Hello. Um, I just want to um, recommend to Betty um, your program on the family. It comes on about 9 o'clock at night. Um, it's a program that uh, helps families work out issues like this. Well, I think you're talking about focus on the family. That's the one. I want to recommend that one to Betty because even though there might be the first one or two that don't don't 
um, work with her, but keep listening to that because I, I'm, I'm a widower, but I have been encouraged so much by that program and in bringing up the family. Uh, the other thing I want to say is that prayer is very vital, very necessary. I had a nephew who didn't speak to his dad for six years. And on his birthday uh, this month, the son um, came back to came and started talking to dad again. Now they were they they didn't communicate for six years, and I believe prayer was a big part in bringing that lad back. So Betty, it may take it may take time, but God is faithful, and if we've if if we've brought up our children. Um, the way scripture would encourage us to do, then and the the promise is that that the work that God starts in them, He will not leave uncompleted. So, and I'll I'll be praying for Betty as well because I believe in prayer. Well, thanks so much for your call and for your encouragement, David. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen to join in our conversation and just to. Follow up on something here. If you are going to pray in your divided, conflict-filled family, uh, you are also, at this point, exercising one of those fruit of the Spirit. And we touched on that a little earlier. The idea of being patient, and uh, patience as a destination, uh, might you might say in hindsight, oh, well, I've been patient. But in the middle of it, it hurts a lot, doesn't it, John? But being patient is hard, and so good, David, what you're saying there. Six years without talking. I mean, gosh, talking about patient prayer and also to betty the whole thing of be patient with vision radio uh, focus on the family M- listen to two or three of the programs be patient continue uh, I-, I love it and but that can absolutely be hard during those six years during that time of of difficulty and for listeners the beauty of modern technology today and the availability of podcasts means that you can actually just uh, find your way onto a site Go down a list and you can find those programs with titles that are speaking into your situation right now. And yes, Focus on the Family, it has for such a long time been one of the wonderful programs that we've been able to feature here on Vision. And they do have the world experts talking through some of these issues and they have wonderful testimonies that bring into your family situation the presence and power of God. And and I can testify that if you raise your children a According to the wisdom of Focus on the Family, good things happen in their lives. So, uh, Neil, Betty can download the Vision app, um, and she doesn't even have to be patient now. She can go straight to the Focus on the Family uh, bit on uh, what happens when uh, kids don't talk to their their families. Exciting developments (laughs) happening with that Vision app. Uh, Good stuff. Coming back to the mountains and the valleys, we always like the thought, John, of being on the mountaintop and having those good feelings. But when you're in the valley, 
is that necessarily uh, having bad feelings? Because uh, if Jesus is with you on the mountaintop and he's with you in the valley, is there a certain sense in which, you know, you're uh, you're protected on a whole lot of levels? Um, so with Jesus, here he is being baptized in the water. You are my beloved son. What words would, what feelings would have come from those words? But then so shortly afterwards, being thrust into the desert for 40 days, 40 nights, are you the son of God? Um, and you wonder about the feelings Jesus had in the valleys. For me personally, I know that, hey, happy feelings are lovely, lovely. love it when I worship um, and when I have that sense of real connection with God and with the others. But also there is that incredible value of uh, when we're in the valley but close to God. When we have pain, emptiness, anger, sadness, uh, and, and stress, just being there with him is a good place. Just before Jesus launched into his ministry years, 40 days in the wilderness, and uh, we're told that when Jesus emerges from the wilderness, he emerges in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's therefore launched into uh, being the fulfiller of the purpose for which he was incarnated. Uh, is this something that uh, that we can experience? I mean, can, feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, uh, give us some insights here, John, because uh, can you switch on a feeling of the presence of God in your heart and life? Uh, what are your thoughts here? Thank you. I think, uh, yeah, certainly when we have the feel or aware of the presence of God and we feel that it's fantastic, but it's uh, it's not a necessarily a good indicator of the presence of God. Why? Because the Bible says that regardless of even when we sin. Uh, that we have the presence of God within us. He has not left us. Uh, we might le- leave him, as it were. We might not access him, but God is with us. And our feelings might be very different from exuberant, uh, uh, wonderful feelings. And then if we go by our feelings that of our guilt and our shame, that can really take us further and further away from God. Let's take another call. Sarah is in Cooma in New South Wales. Hello, Sarah. Welcome along. Hi, thanks. What are your thoughts, Sarah? Um, so I just had a question. Um, so I've been, over the last two years, our family's gone through like quite a lot of <laughs> various huge stresses. Like just one probably would have been enough, but we've had quite a few. Um, and I've had the opportunity to really embrace all the spectrum of emotions and um, I guess see how they can be good and helpful. Um, My question is uh, about dealing with frustrations and anger um, because that's the one that I find is difficult in the sense of I have four children under the age of nine. Now, if I'm dealing with an adult that frustrates and angers me, I can just walk away and have a cry or, you know, just deal with my stress. But my children really need me at the moment. And so I was just wondering, do you have some kind of advice of how I navigate those feelings in the moment um, in a way that's healthy for my family? Uh, 
Yeah, Lo- lovely, Sarah. Thank you so much for your openness. I had five kids on, under the age of I don't know. There were too many for me to count. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I've got four. I've four. Okay. So I know your frustrations um, I, when you I, say those. I love what you're saying there, Sarah. Embracing the emotions and anger and frustrations are hard one because as Christians we don't like that one uh, really. Um, and there's a couple of things. One is um, in the moment. Uh, I, I think is to um, be very, if you can be what we call mindful, just be aware of what's happening, not just with the kids, but also what's happening with you, what's happening with your feelings, your thoughts, and even deeper, what's happening with your sense of control. Often in that situation, it's out of the window. Um, and also the sense of who you are as a mother. Um, and they, those things can then really feed our frustration. Slow breathing, relaxation, just actually um, trying to be in that moment is really helpful. But then it's incredibly important after that to stand back and say, search me, oh God, and know my heart. And to use those, Mm. what was going on there for me? What's it tapping into for me, either now or even the way I was brought up as a kid? And to bring that to God and to deal with that differently and ideally with with, with your husband, if you can work out a, a way uh, to work on that together, that makes it even more powerful. Sarah, while we've got you here, John, is there value in the idea if you're uh, taking stock of that moment, being in the moment, uh, you're trying not to let your frustration and anger get the best of you, if you have a system, a plan, you know what the plan is. When this, uh, when this, uh, this challenge comes, uh, you know that there is a way you can work through it, a mechanism by which you can get back things to, re- to be restored to, uh, to a good place. Is that, that valuable? It's very valuable, and people deal with it differently. For me, Sarah, what I do is I often uh, go away into a quiet place, (laughs) and then I might just actually write down exactly what's happened so I can come back to that. But uh, then Mm. to actually be able to bring that to God and say, what's going on with me? Uh, Because then I can actually move to a place where I'm not reacting to the kids so much, but I'm being proactive. God through me, God, GTS, God through Sarah to the kids. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, Sarah. So I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough I do get that opportunity afterwards. Um, I do process and I do sort of look at what's happening. Um, I guess I just am really looking at is there anything I can do like within the hecticness of it when, you know, one child's screaming and one's asking me a million questions that they've already been given the answer to and all of that. And I'm just feeling frustrated, yeah, how I react well in that moment. And I know that I won't always, and that's fine, and that's just part of life. But, yeah, just any possible tips with that? Yeah, I I think, I mean, it is so hard, Sarah. Be real about your feelings. Try not to react to them. And be be the one who's seeking to be loving and understanding, connecting and, uh, and understanding with them, but also uh, mm. having that parental control where you might have to say stop, stop talking, or and you might have to even put them into timeout, something like that. And Sarah, mm. it might always be helpful too to call your mum. Yes. Oh, my mum is so helpful to me. Oh, I don't know how I would yep. survive without my mum. <laughs> Sarah, 
thank you so much for uh, your call and uh, letting us in on your family. Really appreciate that. And we are running out of time quickly. I do want to spend a moment or two asking you about the third book in your trilogy, John, uh, The Cure for Life. Uh, Give us some insights here. I mean, this has been a long time coming. This is a major work. This is going to be the legacy that you're leaving to your own family and to perhaps a lot of people who have been listening to you on this program over a number of years now. Uh, The Cure for Life, Part 1, about a God-centered transformation. The Cure for Life, Part 2, about God-centered relationships. The Cure for Life, Part 3, coming out early July, Bible Foundations. What does it look like? Uh, It's uh, basically about 500 pages. It's an illustrated guide, uh, commentary on the Bible from a counselor's perspective. About 500 pages, about 500 uh, pictures, just to make it really easy to understand the themes of Scripture. Um, and I thought they could, they might put it in the kids' uh, corner, but uh, I, I think, hey, we as adults will really find it helpful, a helpful way to understand and pass it on. A picture book for adults. And, uh, well, what a great way of being able to approach uh, the way that you deal with things. And, you know, in your first two books, there's lots of diagrams, lots of illustrations, so that if you can't always get your head around the theory, you can look at the diagram and you can see yourself in there. But this one, a picture book, look forward to it, and we'll no doubt get another opportunity to talk about that when the launch actually happens, and we'll be expecting that early July. I hope so, in Kurong, and I my prayer is that it actually deepens people's love for the scriptures from which the pictures have come. Well, let me give a website in which you can connect with Dr. John Warlow. Uh, Dr. John Warlow, W-A-R-L-O-W dot com. Dr. John Warlow dot com. Uh, keep your eye out for the Cure for Life Part 3 uh, in Kurong coming out early July. John, always such a pleasure getting your insights. Uh, thanks so much for being so open yourself. We're thanking listeners for calling in and being open about their circumstances, but always find you open too about your own weaknesses and your own family environments and have loved conversations about your early childhood at different times. But thanks so much for your openness today on 2020. A privilege being with Vision Radio. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.